Our Idle Hands, Season 1, Episode 3, hosted by Severely Maim. It's not often that I find another person who rivals me in their willingness to drop everything and learn a new skill or art form just because they know it will deepen their craft. Today's guest, Austin Fuller, better known as Banex Bramble on Instagram, has their hands in many pots, but today's focus is going to be on ritual attire. This episode of Our Idle Hands is dedicated to Joe Netherworld, like all others before. Today's guest, Austin Fuller, is a folk witch living in Pine Flats of West Central Florida, amongst the sea, swamp, and forest. Austin is a perfumer, conjurer, diviner, and artist. They traffic with spirits at the crossroads intersecting witchcraft and art. Hi, Austin. Welcome to... Our Idle Hands, episode three. Oh, well, hello, everybody. My name's Austin Fuller. Today, I'm going to be your hellish homemaker, your Vancouverish vixen, uh, even though I'm not from Canada. And if you can't buy or if you can't summon up the flames of hell, then you can just buy them from your local supermarket. That is unacceptable. Homemade hell flames only in this house. The whole idea is that we're making things, Austin. Get it together. That is true. Craftswomen. <laughs> yeah, we are we are the epitome of craftswomen. Mm-hmm. In your intro, I brought up I had made an edit before I sent you the kind of like overlook of it. And I had put in that you have your hand in many pots. And then what I cut out, I said, they might say too many because I know (laughs) you take on way, way, way too many projects. Uh, Normally in the, like my interview format, I would ask someone like, when did you start calling yourself a witch? But like, because you have a podcast that I listen to very regularly, I know that you have covered this in Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked crooked Ways that you host with Marshall, Witch of Southern Light. So I'm just going to direct everyone to go listen to your podcast instead, because I think you've given us multiple times kind of how you've gotten to being a witch. Uh, I'd like to know about how did you become a maker? That's a really good question. And I'm very happy that you asked it. Um, my parents come from a really laborious background so my dad was or is a welder um very all types of welding so he always had a a kind of a leg up on his jobs because he did um both or uh, mig tig which don't ask me what that means um as well as marine welding and pipe welding so both of those are quite specialty as opposed to mig and tig welding but he did both and he also did the marine welding which is actually where you go underwater and marine like weld um bridges and things like that um so my dad was able to do that uh for quite a while which is i assume why he moved to florida i never actually asked that um good thing to to know about your own parent um but on top of that my father was a very do-it-yourself person uh his father my grandfather is a, a handyman um Uh, so quite you know another person who can kind of do everything Uh, my dad 
was a metal worker. Um, he's always been very interested in in smithing and um, uh, auto mechanics to a degree, a, a degree, and then you know, on the other side of things, my mother was um, somebody who worked in paper art, um, uh, not necessarily photography in a very like artistic lens, but she would take a lot of pictures and then make, you know, scrapbooks and things like that. She still makes scrapbooks. And um, on top of that, I grew up a, a very rural childhood semi-rural and i was allowed to play and be very creative and i don't know i just always had this um desire to make things and have control over my own little world because i'm actually a narcissist and i'm fucking crazy um but i i used to be very interested in in taking um things and uh, cutting them out like little dolls and making houses for them um, which I guess looking back it really ex shows my work now I think uh, what I do a lot of making spirit houses and things like that but I would make these as best as I could at you know the age of whatever I was out of cardboard boxes like these um, mock-ups of mansions or things like that you know my my conceptualization of that and we were you know not super rich or anything like that so the illusions of grandeur were always very up my alley yeah so from a really young age i think i was making things and i still do that now i guess yes i you know as someone who follows you on instagram and we've only recently become like friends friends i found you and got very quickly obsessed with you and i had like i had you in my crosshairs of like i'm going to become friends with this person or i'm gonna pull the trigger and they're done <laughs> no i'm really happy that we're we're friends um because i actually adore you look at us go like we became very quick friends i would say like i obsessed and then I was like, wait, I can tell we're very much the same. I like, as I watched your Instagram stories over the last year and whatever change, seeing you making things got me like so excited about where the realm of making and witchcraft collide. Because I have always been a witch who like made her witch things herself. Like I... I think maybe it just comes from being a maker since my childhood. Like, I did not like being outside. I did not like, you know, that kind of stuff. I wanted to draw. I wanted to, like, do the all the artsy stuff. Um, and I'm still very much that same way. I hate being outdoors. I hate, which is very funny as, like, a witch and animist where I'm just like, I hate outside. I hate the sun. I hate, I hate bugs. Uh, but, like... That is just like what I have learned and I actually actively try and unlearn it because I love spending time with like trees in my yard or that kind of stuff. But as a whole, the outdoors is not for me. You know, it's so funny is I've been really, I, I explained to a friend the other day, I was like, it's actually so funny the way that we have certain 
planetary not to be like a planetary girly but like we have planetary associations like i consider a lot of the work that i do and not only because of the planet um itself but also like a lot of the spirits that i work with and and the the spiritual contracts that i've made for myself are very much so contingent on beauty um and not even in like a vain way but like the the creation of things the arts and the crafts of things and a lot of these um aspect of craft and all of that are very much so ruled under the sign of venus or the planet venus and i'm proud of myself for knowing that because literally literally before i met you i i never delved into like the realm of planetary days hours meetings any of that at all but i have been making a solid effort and as you started to describe it, i was like oh venus very yeah yeah i was telling my friend i was like it's so funny um i was like you're so very saturnian like you just want to like get your hands in the dirt and i i obviously um want to get my hands in the dirt too but i think the beauty the beautiful thing about animism is that it um you can enjoy the spirits in your cultivated garden or you can enjoy the spirits in the the really thick dense wood where all the bugs are crawling on you and honestly i would rather be in my garden that's very beautiful and cultivated um as opposed to shredging under the brush and letting the centipedes crawl over me no thank you i'll use yeah. a shovel yeah i you know i don't need to ruin my manicure always to be a witch that being said i'm willing to like, if that's mm -hmm. what it calls for, I'm willing to do it. I'm not going to cut things off and be like, uh-uh, that's too, that's too dirty for me. No, like, we oh, were... I'll put on a cotton dress. It's fine. Absolutely. It's not my top choice. It's not my top choice. No, it was funny because we were burying something in my backyard. And I was like, I have a shovel, you know? And they're like, and that's why you're so very venusian <laughs> and i'm so very they were using their hands i was like i have a shovel like i have a tool we can make this easier on ourselves and they're like and that's why you're very venusian and that's why i am very saturnian yeah and i yeah <laughs> yeah see i don't have a shovel but i would have immediately been like should i get like a big spoon like should I should be like, well, I also live in the desert. It is impossible. Impossible. Anytime anybody's like, oh yeah, go bury this um in the ground for a week and then I'm like, how? How do you no, not here. Not here, mama. Not here. I can't get into that ground in my yard to like bury this icon to unbury it again in a week. No. Well, it moves, doesn't it? Well, it's like the like dirt when you find like our yard has grass in it like in the apartment we live in not our choice i'm literally letting it all die off but the ground is just so dried up it's like you have to like chip away uh -huh. at it like it's rock to get and so like if i need to bury something that's you know eight inches tall and then have room to cover it i'm gonna dig a foot in this no no but you know, there's obviously always ways around that, but that's not going to happen here. I don't like, I'm not going to do that. That's like all these things. I long for New England. I'm like, I, I don't think I will have a problem with the outdoors as much once I go somewhere that the outdoors wasn't, doesn't want to kill you. Yeah. I think that's also a big reason why, I mean, I live in Florida and I have a very 
precarious relationship with this land. Um, you know, so I, I long for, you know, my family, we're very Nordic people. So <laughs> that's actually a, a quote from um, uh, Mad Men, not, not that my family is actually Nordic, <laughs> but so, some of us are, but. I recently did some like digging into my like, you know, genetic history. And my entire life, I was living under the illusion that my family was like, very, very immensely Polish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have been proven very wrong. Like in my head, like all of the traditions I remember from my childhood and food is all exclusively Polish and it's both sides of my family. And I was under this deep impression that we were like hundred percent or close Polish, just a really comically white family. And I am still very comically white when I looked into it, but it's not, it's like my family makes like one side makes a stop in like the Pennsylvania Dutch kind of area and then goes straight to Germany. Uh Like you can go back to like 15 something tracing my family in Germany. Same with my like father's mother. Her side of the family goes to like Quebec and then France and you can trace them back to like the, the you know 1500s in France. And like I haven't even dug deeper than that. So I yeah, I'm like particularly like surprised by how much German ancestry I had uh-huh. and I didn't think I had any. Um but it has given me like a fun kind of realm to research in the like Pennsylvania Dutch, powwow, like that kind of realm, which I've really enjoyed investigation. And then also, obviously, th- then I can follow the the ties to Germany where uh, yeah, there's like I, so much witch lore. I was listening to Alinea's episode last night that you had just done, and I thought it was really brilliant. Um, uh, they had brought up a little bit of um stuff and so my copy of the long lost friend um funny enough which i was thinking about bringing up on your podcast includes you know of course it's it's magical in a way but it's not explicitly like people reading that now would be like oh that's just chemistry but at the time Mm -hmm. like there's a natural magic aspect to that but you know in the back of this one particular edition that i have um, they talk about, you know, dyeing fabric and dyeing, um, and how to make dye. So like how to make blue and green vitriol, which would have been really important for people back then. And, um, blue vitriol or cupric, um, or not cupric, uh, acetate, uh, copper sulfide would be very important to, uh, of course, people of, uh, all backgrounds, but, uh, specifically, and most especially to African-Americans and um, uh, slaves because the pigment was used to wash white linens, but then that's also where in American hoodoo, the um, blue alum, the blue balls that you'll see, and if you were me as a kid, you'd be like, why are those here? Um, And it's for for keeping things white. Of course, now we use um, Prussian blue as opposed to copper sulfate. Um, or sulfide, sorry, can't remember which one it is, but um, we use Prussian blue now, which is uh, not toxic um, <laughs> at all. 
Yeah, I what, do you have the Gemma Gary uh, <laughs> Long Lost? Okay, I have a different one, but I remember you and Marshall talking about that version. Um, yeah. I, which then I regretted the version that I bought. I had bought it a few months before, so it wasn't like I had just bought it. But um, yeah, I love I actually do like the version that I have. Um, I have I only read it Long Lost Friends specifically in pieces. I feel like how the one I'm reading is annotated. You have to go to the like full back of the book and then mm-hmm. each chapter, the numbers for the annotations change. Mm-hmm. So it's so hard. I can only read it in like, you know, maybe five to 10 page sections at a time before I'm just like, oh, I'm exhausted by the long yeah. last friend. That, I think those happen a lot when, um, you know, you have tons of annotations. Um, yeah. Yeah, when you have when you're like making author authoratory or even comparative notes to other works, the long lost friend is so, so has so many different pieces to it, um, and so many different editions. Um, for what reason I don't know. Besides John George Homan, just he probably put out several different, or the editor or the publisher put out so many different variations of his work um, because he really did just collect a map. They're just notes. They're just notes put together in a book. Um, But over the centuries, um, two centuries since it's been out, uh, there's so many different. The edition that I have goes into like every published edition that he could kind of track down in his Which is intro. A... And then that is why there's, like you said, a million annotations because he's pulling from every version and comparing. And then he also then goes into like, what does, what does this X phrase that keeps getting used mean? Like, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but like pretty much a sty. Mm-hmm. There's like a million cures for a sty. And like, a sty and animals but they call it something else and i had to before i really understood how that book's annotations were working because it was so deep i was just like looking it up and i'm like that that is what we've been focusing on for like 10 pages is a mi- million ways to get rid of a fucking sty i'm happy i can just go to walgreens and get the eye drops uh uh-huh. yeah no uh love love medical magic but um I like my aspirin. Um, yep. And I know a million people who are like, ooh, just do, just have a willow bark. I'm like, no, I'll just take two aspirins and an ibuprofen. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, a little if I have a headache, though. like, sure. If I, if someone has a, like, you know, peppermint, like, oil roller within arm's reach or as far a distance as ibuprofen, I'm sure I'll try the peppermint. And it usually will help. But I'm going to just take the ibuprofen otherwise. You know, I don't trust anybody to dilute things proper. As a perfumer, I'm like, I don't trust people to dilute things anymore because I've been on the bad end of many a chemical burn of my own doing. Um, But, like, I also know what essential oils can do and, like, how bad they can really be for people undiluted, um, you know, and a lot of people have a more is more uh thought process Heavy behind hand, yeah yeah with eo and i'm like you know what i'd rather not i have really sensitive skin anyway so yeah and so i guess you've 
really helped rein me back in um, to the actual interview that we're supposed to be having, uh, which, you know, you have taken up a million skills in the name of witchcraft and maybe just your, you know, pursuit of life and happiness. But um, I'd love to know, like, what skills and art forms have you learned exclusively in the name of like magic and witchcraft of course perfumery is the first one that i would think of with you but was that an existing passion i always wanted to go into perfumery um when i was a teenager one of the million things that i wanted to do including going to glass blowing and lamp design school um, which was a thing that I wanted to do, and we did have a college for it at, I believe, um, Kansas University. I'm sorry, um, lamp designing? Like uh -huh. like lighting yeah. fix? Okay. Just, yeah. I just wanted to clarify that you were talking about that there is a school for lamp design. Yeah, and glass blowing. Um, oh, like kinda, tandem. Yeah, in the same department. Oh, okay. That makes, but that also, makes a lot of sense. But also like lighting fixture in general. Like that's um, yeah yeah truly um, but um, among one of the other things that I wanted to do is eventually go into uh, biochemistry so that I could focus and move into cosmetic chemistry and then from there go into the perfumery route which is like a really convoluted process because you don't actually need a degree to become a perfumer um, and you know of course you could just go to school perfumer to to be a perfumer if that was important to you it's a very prestigious school there's only like two of them in the world that are like qualified uh, credit accredited kind of um whatever the french mean by accredited and uh it's very prestigious and kind of convoluted and it, it's just a, a process that you don't need so um plus i was a poor 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 student not because i was dumb because I expressed a deep disinterest in institutionalized learning. But as far as the things that I have done, um, perfume, of course, that's actually a newer one. I uh, kind of like got into perfumery in 2020 um, because I wanted so bad to do it and quote unquote do it right. Um, and then I had a perfumer friend uh, just be like, you should just learn just how to do it it's it's you know you know do it do it just do it and so i did um the perfumery is rather new but other things that i've learned is like hand casting metal and um for like pendants of jewelry and other such things um which i'm not great at but you know um I've never considered myself a sculptor, but I've started, you know, making puppets and um, under the direction of, of spirits, I've become a pretty damn good uh, gilder. So like gold leafing or like silver leafing and doing that um, properly. Gosh, what else have I, what else do I do? Maybe help, help a girl out. Specifically, I, I was thinking of when you made the bone blades. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, kind of metal smithing not really yeah i didn't know what it would be really um, called but now it makes so much sense with what you were telling me about us all everyone listening about your father and what he does it makes so much sense that you would easily translate to like learning like any style of metal work yeah um, it's in yeah. your blood baby 
Yeah, it's in my blood. Um, uh, so yes, metal smithing, um, book binding kind of shout out to Aaron Oberon, uh, for teaching me, uh, some, a thing or two. Um, what else? Uh, I do a lot of woodworking. So trembling, carving, building boxes. I love a box. Yeah. The handmade boxes that you had done for the, uh, human bone blades were stunning. Thank you. Uh, lining the boxes. I do, I, I want to be like, oh, I do a little bit of everything. But then, of course, you know, I can't sew. I'm not a good sewer. I, I do not have the patience for it. I'd love to learn um, Loonville embroidery. Um, but I'm so afraid of, like, buying things for it because I just don't know if I would have the patience. Um, I cannot... I have a bad habit of not being able to just sit and do something that does not come relatively quick in its fruition um, because I feel like I'm dawdling and it's a waste of time. Yeah, I think that if you, yeah, like embroidery and beading, we have talked about not, like we've just talked about on phone calls and things like that and how we both have an interest there. I think that it's for people like us, we would have to take it up as purely a hobby, something to sit, like step away from the crafts that we do that are like, I make my clothing. A lot of times that sewing isn't like for fun. It's because like I need stuff to wear to work and I need stuff to wear to X, Y, and Z. And you're making products that you sell. This is your living. That would have to be a hobby that we take up as an actual hobby, something to do between, you know, jobs, do between things that we have to do. But sadly, we live in a capitalist society and that does not afford us the ability to take these things on for sheer enjoyment. It is not, we're not like married, kept women in 1885 who can cultivate these skills. Oh my God, that would be... (laughs) Like, I just want to revert. Deepest dream. I just want to revert back to deep-seated bioessentialism and just actually just be a stay-at-home woman, womb woman. I think about that constantly. <laughs> I especially with like we had talked about this before we started recording. I'm making one million hard-to-make things for my wedding, and it's. I had a customer at my work tell me the other day they were like how are you doing all of this and also working? I was like, well, I only work 30 hours a week. Uh (laughs) So I was like, okay. And then I also record a podcast. And then I also, you know, uh, do all these other things. I'm like, I literally, that moment set my like soul to panic mode. It was like, oh wait, you have all of these things that you can't just hand off. You like you're not gonna like let this just be done by someone else and you can't buy what you want. You've gotta make it all. So I've I just keep daydreaming about how like, oh, I just I don't have to work anymore. I just have to work on building a beautiful wedding and then a beautiful from wardrobe. From yes, from nothing. Ground up. Mm-hmm. But and then it gets what we do. It is what what we do, and then it gets into the, you know, we can, I I just know you, and I know myself, and I know that it's like, well, that's why we have to start learning how to do embroidery, because um, the patches, or the, you know, the beautiful embroidery beaded 
um, appliques that they have, well, sorry, that one just, I don't know, that one just doesn't have the phoenix in the right place that I need to embroider on my bespoke um, crepe back sateen jacket or, you know, something like that. You know, there's just never, it's never just the vision. It's always literally, it's like, okay, you want to go bake a cake and it's like, I'm going to bake a cake from scratch, but no, I can't just bake the cake from scratch. I need the eggs to be from <laughs> my own chickens and I need to mill the own, my own flour and I need to cultivate my own yeast so that the bread will rise correctly. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it gets into the weird nitty gritty things of it all. And it's even worse sometimes, um, for certain for certain things that I do because it will be very spirit led and then it's like then I'm making faux Louboutin shoes for a puppet because that's the express thing that I wanted was like no I want the the shoes with the red bottoms um you know I think that like even non-magical makers I feel like this will always be our struggle and you really with the cake situation you literally like where do we stop ourselves where in what line of this do we stop ourselves and doing spirit-led projects that is like something i personally don't have an experience in to like really even have comment on because i know i already torture myself enough it and when when you do have that experience, I already know it's gonna be so bad for you. <laughs> oh, it's because no, and I swear to God, it's because they know they're like, oh, well, you're anally retentive and have an eye for detail, and you have these weird like things that nobody else you know how to do things that not a lot of other people do um who i come into contact with so why don't you go ahead and you start making me out and i'm not going to give you what you want unless you start i don't know offering up really niche houses or you know mm -hmm. or things like that it gets fucking weird because yeah um you have the the oh i'm an uh anally retentive uh bitch who can you know do all these really intricate or or just very niche things whether it looks any certain type of way or not and then the spirits here like know that when you approach them and they just run with it yeah and that's like i i feel like i've learned even like that that is the reality of it just by knowing you um and knowing how not I like I don't you you're very tight-lipped as as witches need to be uh about your you know spirit packs and things like that but I still know they put you you through the ringer when it comes to making things um but I know that that obviously does have to pay off like what are what's the what's your favorite thing that you've ever crafted for yourself spirit-led or not well, I guess it wouldn't be for yourself if it was spirit-led, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah, and it's really hard to say because there are so, I mean, it, it can get really quite manic. And I mean that in, like, the m mental health sense of the word, but also in the, um, the mania of being inflamed or consumed by a spirit-led practice, which I am. Um, and so it can be very quite difficult 
um, sometimes, luckily, I will always come back to a project. I'm not one of those people who keep a million projects around and never finish them. I, <laughs> luckily, I see them through. Just sometimes, um, sometimes I do have to put them away and come back to them uh, at a later time. But um, I can't say if I have a favorite because I, I, I couldn't. It's like picking a, a child that you love the most um a even if i did i think they'd get mad at me um but so one of the favorite things that i've worked on recently um is probably the the road the visions of the witch's rose series that i uh, is a collection of three perfumes that i've recently put out and it's just like rewarding to see it come to life from the inception of this rose journey that i've been on pushed out into the world i feel kind of a little post-mortem about it actually i am very in love with the i have not smelled the scents yet uh that is that's on me um let me send you one yes please i'm very in love with the packaging for this new like those little those bottles are stunning thank and you i I feel like I've been kind of following the journey of you discussing this like rose plant specifically because you talk about it on Southern Bramble, like in season one, I think about you and building and cultivating a relationship with the spirit of a rose plant that you're, and I'm assuming it is the same one. Uh-huh. Yes. That it has become this collection. Um, and that, really opened my eyes so much like you know i do a lot of reading especially in this iteration of myself as a witch so i people talk about like plant allies and building relationships but i wasn't maybe reading the right things and i don't think people were talking about it in the same way that you were to where when you started talking about the relationship you were building with this rose plant it clicked for me in like there are plants that become fibers that can then become thread that can then become clothing or like whatever. Yeah. It all like it, the wheels started to turn in your description of like your uh, relationship that you were building with this rose plant. So to see the fruition of that in this perfume collection is uh, very thrilling. Thanks for bringing that up. I, I, forgot about some of that stuff actually so that's that's really nice to hear i'm kind of a fret you know like i talked about it on the first episode of the podcast and i've talked about it with you like i have been a witch for a long time but i'm returning to this and it's like i'm returning as a very new person and a very different type of witch than i had ever been in the past i was very self-led and now i am like thirsting for knowledge constantly i always want to be reading a book about like the like occult witchcraft folkcraft whatever um and so i consumed all of the existing episodes of your podcast when i first started listening i like caught up on all the episodes that had happened so it's a little bit fresher in my mind than yours probably because yeah. that's been since you know i don't know I think, no, well, I guess it's been a while, but um, I, yeah, I've probably reviewed everything more recently than you have. Certainly. 
So like it's fresh in my mind. Um, and I know that you as a maker, you have, you surround yourself, even in just like the internet that is the ether uh, that we exist in each other's lives. Um, you surround yourself with makers. What's a favorite thing that you've gotten from another maker witch? I feel like I know who you're going to say, but I don't want to say it because I feel like if I was wrong, I, it's not like they would know, they know who I am or anything. Wait, who, who do you I say? just assume it's Aconite Conjure has made something that is probably a favorite of yours because I'm obsessed. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Well, there's so, there's a lot of things that I actually don't post. So, and some of the things are actually, like, certain things that I can't give away or else the spell will be broken. So, for those of you who are like, well, what about that thing? Just know I would say you if I could. <laughs> um, one of the things uh, which was gifted to me by Jess from Aconite Conjure, who's a dear friend, um, a dear internet friend, um, was a priest stole. And um, they had gifted me this pre-stole probably back in like 2021 or something like that. And they sent it to me. And it's actually something that's really important in my practice because in my practice, the like um, the act of baptizing and naming things is very important to what I do. And that has always been kind of uh, a thing that I do since really getting into my craft so for the past several years now but then upon receiving the stole and there's also like um it's like a long stole and then like a short stole and i don't actually know how they're worn i know how the long stole is worn but i don't know what this littler smaller stole is for um but they're both like an easter stole because they're both like at this violet color um and they're silk and they're old um older pieces and i love being able to uh, not even love being able to wear it um it actually has become very integral to my practice of baptizing something um because you are dressing uh as a as a priest and there's a lot of which i know we'll talk about whenever but like there's the act of dressing um is actually very important to what i do um yeah well, i think that that should probably just be where we transition into more of the topic and less of an interview when i set up the format for these i do like these are the questions that i'm gonna ask and then here's just like what the conversation like channels can be for those of you just listening and not staring at a piece of paper like I am uh the next question I was going to have was like when it comes to ritual are you a ritual clothing or a classic sky clad uh girly yeah um well I think there's room for both um there's a secret third gender no I'm kidding I hate secret third things um uh, <laughs> um because I am not dependent on um the other two things to make that but anyways I what was I saying um ritual clothing or sky clad and then I, you said, I'm not into the binary I'm not into that. Yeah, exactly. I I walk my own path. Um, 
I think there's room for both, but it's very interesting. So this, I don't think I've actually talked about this publicly before, but there's a certain requirements um, for dressing that I do, and not in this like weird ritual robe manner, but also kind of. Um, so for certain things, it's very directed to me that like, oh, you should be cross-dressing for this, which I think is really interesting. And I'm trying to inspect that because I'm like, so do you see me as a man then? Um, when they're explicitly like you need to be dressing as a woman um because like there are times when i will wear a dress and i have a particular dress that i will wear um but then again it's often for a lot of love magic and it's for a lot of um and this isn't coming from me this is coming from that mm -hmm. um because I'm also very much like a jeans and a t-shirt kind of girl. So I'll just go to the crossroads in a pair of boots and jeans and a t-shirt. A, because I'm trying to not look as conspicuous as I could be. Um, but also because like that's just what I wear on a regular basis. So that's another conversation for another time. I'm like, wait, so how do, oh, like, what, what, I'm like, okay. Um, very that's... interesting that they use the word cross-dress. Yeah. Um, uh, so is this all just a joke to you? Um, <laughs> am I just your little T-slur? Um, <laughs> sorry, everybody. Um, but... So, it, yeah so the the dressing of like uh in a dress for like love magic but then you know there's other forms of things like where the performance aspect of ritual comes in is actually like ritual plays or ritual dramas which have also been delivered to me through other spirits which i'll be writing about at a later time they've expressly stated oh you need to dress up as um for example a sailor for this particular right um like you need, yeah yeah you need to like don the like the look of a sailor um and what does that mean um and it's like okay well what does that mean to me but also what does that mean to you and is what i'm thinking of appropriate um but luckily a, a lot of the times they give me hints like i see like when i say that like i see a beard i'm like okay so do i just have to put on a fake beard like a long one Oh, it's like you have a beard, girly. Yeah, no, but I like keep seeing like they show me this like bearded like Albus Dumbledore or or more like a like a William Defoe in mm -hmm. um, the Lighthouse kind of yep. kind of thing. So that's all very interesting. The the ritual performance and then the ritual garment of it, um, because again, it's not necessarily for me. It's it's very much so. I, I think in the way that. Dr. Alexander Cummins. I don't know why I said that said it like that. It's because I usually call him Dr. Al. Um, Dr. Alexander Cummins talks about perfuming the airs with incense and why, at least in so much of the um quote unquote Western magical tradition, whatever that means, um, it's very expressly stated that the incense is so important or should never be forgotten. And I think that can go further into, you know, when you read things like the Picatrix, it expressly states, like, if you're doing rites on a Tuesday under the auspices of Mars, like, you should be dressed like a general and wear a sword around your neck. Um, or, um, uh, 
you know, other days wearing certain robe colors, but especially with Mars, it sticks out in my head because it's not just telling you to wear red. It's saying you need to dress like a soldier um, or a general. Um, so somebody who is in war. Uh, and I find all those things very um, interesting to me. Or, you know, for example, like the the Puer Martis, which were these effigies of um, soldiers that I had recently made, um, which were ghosts of, of you know, veteran soldiers. Um, it was very interesting to me. Many of these spirits were very old or they would be like they were quite old men. Um, and I had my reasonings for choosing that. But then it was like expressly given to me, like you need to house them in young male bodies. Like they need to be men and then they need to be, um, yeah, she's so gender essentialist in her witchcraft, actually. I'm like, yeah, break the binary. And then I'm like, mm, gender essentialism. Um, That's nice. Sorry, I was happy to for that. That's not your choice. That's literally spirit-led. And like, how many of these spirits were human beings that lived in a like time where only the binary existed? Yeah. How many of them are like so beyond like the idea of gender that they only understand what they've been fed by like human witches they interact with for years that they think that we only conceptualize two ideas of gender. So I think that like we there's so much to talk about there but i'm like it's not you it's not it's not you and i know that because i know you um it is like you said everything is so spirit-led it's just how they i assume can vocab vocabulize no uh how they know how to tell you yeah yeah um and for our limited capacity as humans I agree. No, I think I think so. And um, you know, it's so interesting, though. Very, a lot of like the human spirits that I'll work with are very a lot more oftentimes like uh, sticking to a very humanistic or very, um, especially if they're from like an American English speaking world, like I am. They're very much like oh man, woman, you know, mask them, whatever, and then the plant spirits oftentimes are quite more alien or even just like well i just hate men for example the rose is like i just want to destroy them all and i i think that's quite hot um but also not expressively saying whether you know they are male or female and and uh the forms that i've been given the visions i've been given that are uh, the forms of this rose are a lot more, they're, they're not human at all. So, um, but they just hate men and I love that. <laughs> That's fierce. Yeah. I I feel like, you know, we all feel that way, but mm-hmm. having, having a plant spirit tell you that makes it feel more um, across the board important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Like this, my hatred of men, that comes from deep within the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. So right. I'm like, oh, good. Glad that you're validating me. Thanks. <laughs> um, I so like originally when we discussed top like this topic, you named off a couple books, Picatrix being one of them, that you were going to specifically kind of delve into in the realm of like ritual attire and that stuff because I specifically like 
thought of you and ritual clothing because of Conjuring the Witch's Shade and other necrosophic rites. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I really, really uh, tried to pronounce necrosophic. Necro. Yes. You got it. You got it okay. right. Necrosophic. Over, like last night I was saying it outside, like what I thought it was pronounced as multiple times. So I would hopefully get this right. Um, and this is a, 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 what do you call it? A book? A zine? A, it's a, a little pamphlet. A, a little... It's bigger than a pamphlet. Well, okay. I have mine printed out. So I bought the PDF. The first oh, that's right. I forgot. You've got the very fancy in order PDF. I So I just printed it out. And I, so each page that is in the pamphlet, as you're calling it, is full is a full size page instead of a half size in my version. So it's very big. Um, and I thought of you specifically because within this, I'm going to call it book, just because that's easier for me. Um, within this, you specifically reference the Key of Solomon in how to dress to go to the cemetery to do works with the with the dead. Um, and of course, now I'm struggling to pull up the page, even though I have it folded over. I see it now. Because yeah, you specifically are talking about in this, like going to the cemetery and working with the dead there. Um, and the regalia, as you refer to it, as um, a portion that you specifically reference, talking about how you, there are taboos surrounding new garments being worn to the cemetery um, because you could make the dead envious of your new garments. There's also talk about uh, garments having to be made out of a blessed needle and thread. And that's why I was like, oh, this is what I want to talk to Austin about. And then you had referenced like, oh, these are the books that I'm going to reference from specifically and i thought i was like oh i should read those but then i backtracked and i was like no i don't want to like i want austin to tell me <laughs> this instead of me read it and be like yeah i know exactly what you're talking about because one most people listening will not know exactly what you're talking about um and uh i want your interpretation instead Oh, well, thanks. Um, let everybody go and check my sources and be like, mm, you did, that's incorrect. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I know some of these texts pretty well. Um, yeah, so within the grimoire tradition, quote unquote, again, whatever that means, um, very idiosyncratic. And, you know, my practice, which isn't necessarily um, a grimoire practice necessarily but i pull from a lot of grimoires um i i would say i'm not a solomonic magician um what they're doing what i'm doing are quite different but mm, there's a lot of overlap um especially because within the again the western occult tradition and big uh, air quotes um it all kind of pulls from grimoire traditions so within the Key of Solomon, which is a medieval text that was translated um, by McGregor Mathers, um, S.L. McGregor Mathers, can't think of his full name, um, off the top of my head, but he translated the text and there have probably been other translations. Um, I know Crowley also translated it or had a habit of translating his work and um, shitting on him a lot. Uh, so there's plenty of uh, fault on on all ends of the spectrum, but he does talk specifically, I'm sorry, the Key of Solomon specifically 
discusses the way that you should dress or the way that the exorcist should dress for doing ritual and that is by taking virgin linens and cutting them up or silk in some cases and then taking uh red or a, a, a virgin spun thread and a blessed needle which you have to make which of course if we're thinking about when this book was made which we know it was um a, a medieval text so this is even before the early modern period um where the established theory of witchcraft would have developed um needles would have been really hard to come by and they would have been quite expensive so uh, as would thread be is something that's quite you know it's something that everybody needed but it was also not something that cost 99 cents that you could go to almost any even a gas station and pick it up nowadays you know um so making the the regalia um is very important and of course he talks about or he uh, we don't know who wrote it describes making like a crown out of parchment as well as in the later text um that shows clear reference to the key of solomon or contains a, a key of solomon in it which is the book of oberon or fulcher manuscript vb 26 if i remember that off the top of my head correctly but also talks about you know wearing a crown uh within your rituals and perfuming your mouth with uh rose water which is so funny that i've read that now but that's something that i've been instructed to do for for quite some time now working with this uh rose spirit um, to the point where nothing will show up if I do not have a, a perfumed mouth. Yeah, so th there's a lot of things to go in there. Of course, it talks about, you know, the little shoes with the embroidered crosses on them, which are just absolutely darling. Yeah, but I, I always think it's very interesting. And then, of course, you know, after stating all that within the text, I say, but you can also just go in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt like I do to the cemetery. As, like, folk tradition kind of like witches i understand why we just kind of work in whatever we are wearing because you know not like our you know, our grandmothers or whomever if there was any witches in our family line were probably not dressing for it they were probably you know if not actively practicing witchcraft were following superstition or family folklore or whatever and they were doing it in their house dresses or they were doing it in whatever so to overcomplicate in some ways is very modern and presumptuous of us to be like you've got to wear this but then also then you look back at these old texts like key of solomon and they're like no 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 honey there's a weird Absolutely. Yeah. You better dress up, bitch, because um, they love the pageantry. There's an, a, a weird push and pull. And I think there's a, a false um, line between uh, ceremonialism and then folk magic. And then, you know, so many people get very caught up in the both of them. And really, they're influencing each other. There's not one without the other. Um, for example, the Picatrix. Uh, which is much uh, older, I believe, than uh, the Key of Solomon. Actually, they probably developed about the same time. Uh, I believe the Picatrix developed in the uh, medieval Islamic world, but I'm not an expert on that. Um, but these things would have been influencing each other at the time. And of course, you know, the witch doesn't necessarily have the 
robe or something like that. But then also we see clear people again talking about the performance of ritual and the aesthetic of ritual. For example, the character um, La Voisin or um, uh, she wasn't a character. I, I, she was a character as in she is a, a caricature of herself, but she was a um, fortune teller and poisoner and cosmetician and um, uh, a border uh, and also a posthumous witch um, in France, in King Louis XIV's uh, France and, and tried to kill the king um, because she got wrapped up in, in a, a, a an affair uh, called the Affair of the Poisons, uh, which is such a hot name, right? But, you know, she was very poor. She lived in France, but then she also would come into contact with these very wealthy clients. And she would take her money and she, uh, she was famous for buying... Um, this very expensive robe that had uh, it was said to be red and had eagles embroidered all over it or phoenixes embroidered on it and she would wear this for her ceremonies to give her quote an air of mystery um can't remember what that quote's from but she would wear this to present herself and she called it her civil robe like she called it her fortune telling robe essentially that she would wear and who knows whether that was to garner an air of mystery about her or because she was also being spirit-led and was told like well this is what you have to wear um to see into other people's uh futures and on top of that you know again kind of disassembling this line between ceremonialism and folk magic I think a lot of people get wrapped up in how complicated the Key of Solomon is, which I personally don't think it is comparatively to other texts like the Picatrix, which is highly complicated. But there are things where it's like, oh, just make it out of paper. Like, you don't need an actual crown. Just make it out of paper, um, which is very, you know, uh, at the time would be still kind of hard to get your hands on. But nowadays, it's quite easy. So I think there's room to be folksy about it and i think you know if you're not being directed to wear something ridiculous then don't be but at the same time sometimes you will be or maybe you won't be i don't know i'm i'm not in your practice but if and when it does happen then you ought to listen to what you're doing i'm in a situation where this is my job and it's also uh you know i've been doing it for quite a long time and things come in, in and out of my life very crazily. And, and so sometimes I have to do things that they tell me to do, like dress up like a sailor and and perform this entire elaborate ritual for who, you know, um, literally a fucking play with a script um, that has been delivered to me by spirits. And, and yet for, for what? Uh, for what? I know for what, but you'll find out later. <laughs> yeah, I fully agree with you on all fronts there because I think dressing is important is important to people. So it's going to show up in books, it's going to show up in working with like human spirits. I think that that's undeniable. Um and then also I kind of to tie in the thought of like even though we're folk practitioners still utilizing ritual clothing can be important in i was just reading 
I'm not a Scott Cunningham person across the board, but I am. Oh, I don't. I don't see that book. Okay, but I did have like I was reading his magical herbalism book recently because it, I it was I found it secondhand at my local occult store and it was inexpensive. So I said, oh, okay, I'll throw this on the pile of my like herbalism books. See if anything of wisdom gets pulled out of there. Um, and there he had a quote: um, "The use of magical dresses." Partly psychological, partly magical. When putting on a garment reserved for special occasion, one becomes infused with the spirit of the moment. Also a robe that's worn every time one performs magic, it'll become infused with the magical energy, thus strengthening your own each time you put it on. Which I feel like is an important thought in the realm of ritual dress is like you're setting yourself into a certain mindset, which I know a lot of people will also kind of do that same thing with like scent like you know certain incenses or whatever like that they specifically will use for ritual to shift their brain into a certain wavelength to then practice and produce effective magic uh so i like as someone who doesn't particularly dress for my magic go like taking it from that angle does make me feel like oh like maybe i should spend some time making something that is just like a ritual dress for the occasions that i have time to do something more fully flushed out like maybe it's not going to be a full sailor costume with a beard but like you know it could be something in that realm it could just be a simple black dress <laughs> me some you know some uh garments some clothes i you know one of the dresses that i wear specifically is just like a, a leftover thing for that i was going to return i bought it originally for a a uh short film that i was making for one of the perfumes but it actually fit me better than it did the model um because i bought it too big and um you know, it has a little stretch in it and I love me a little stretching moment. Um, and then, so instead of returning it, you know, I, I wear this, uh, this dress, um, for particular ceremonies and it's kind of just like a, a one dress thing that I use for several different types of magic. Um, but you know, then of course opening that, that, that door was very much like, maybe you should get uh, you know multiple dresses for for different things and that's not even me asking for for these things you know because i'm not not around here at least i'm not wearing those types of things out and about every day mainly because they're quite special to me so yeah it's just very interesting and i love a little bit of ritual wear and, and good on scott Cunningham because we don't give him enough credit um as as we should i think i'm super excited he has like a little documentary coming out about him oh i feel like i saw something about that um matthew said it in in the oh, last episode yeah that's what it was yep mm -hmm. i because i the second i woke up that the day that matthew from spiritus arcanum was on your podcast i was like up early that day and the second the the second the podcast was up i was like listening to it because i was not going to miss out on a moment of hearing matthew talk about witchcraft i lit like we love and i matthew. feel like yeah later that week he did the um speakeasy of the dead um i would like was like oh yep we I'm, were there too yeah yep. i was like i've got to listen to that one also mm -hmm. i was really 
uh, really invested there. And I always am in Matthew and whatever he's doing. I've, uh, I think I started following him on Tumblr, like when I was in college or had just left college or something. And then, yeah, so that's how long ago for one. And then, uh, we connected in like real life when I was still, uh, living or visiting Massachusetts I can't remember um but I really like I just so heavily trust him and his word and I love hearing him talk about witchcraft just like I do with you so I'm like that was like really a perfect episode of any podcast for me well thank you sugar plum I was really thrilled uh by that and I'm very thrilled that you're here and like I'm Fingers crossed, hoping I can convince Matthew to hop on here one of these days. Um, But yeah, I think the, like, Scott Cunningham quote, I really loved. And it wasn't the book I would have, like, kind of expected that out of. It was, it's his magical herbalism one. Like, the next sentence went on about how, like, herbalists often prefer a green robe. And I'm like, eh, pass. Uh, But I was like, I can cut that part out. Um, Another piece that kind of, I had never thought of, but I was reading A Witch at the Forest's Edge by Christine Grace, which have you read that book? Yes, I have. So that one I think is top of my list for like beginner books now. It is, I think, sets a really good primer she, for people. Yeah, I think she really, um, I don't know, she do, does a really beautiful job. I like I like that the way the book is formatted. She sets it up to where the spells are actually the last chapter in the book, which I love because I like that. It's like, no, no, you don't need to worry about like, I think she does a good job of being like, why don't you just actually get, get what a witch actually is as opposed to just uh, slapping it onto any other magical tradition you so feel. Um, and, And then we'll worry about the actual magical stuff. But yeah, a great book. And in that one, she specifically talks about, like, in her tools kind of section, I can't remember actually what the chapter is called. That one I do have next to me. Um, In her, like, kind of tools chapter, she's talking about the things on her, uh, yeah, a few common tools in the creating ritual chapter. Um, She goes on, she talks about using a veil Uh, I use a large silk veil for ritual dance, ritual costuming, and masking, and for mild sensory deprivation during hedge crossing and ritual possession. And that struck a chord in me. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. I think using a veil would help me in situations when I need to, like, shut off and can't be like, okay, let's, like, fully remove myself and immerse myself into the, like magic that i'm doing and that brought me to a like another quote from a book that i was reading donald tyson scrying for beginners another book that i got secondhand kind of cheap i was like ah let's see what's in this and i read it and i felt like there really was some gems in there and when he was describing his grandfather's scrying process which i guess like he talks about it in the beginning of the book his grandfather was like this very prolific scryer specifically with a crystal ball so that's like where he starts in his in the book and he says how uh when he wished to gaze upon the crystal he would set the box on the kitchen table and open the lid context the the crystal ball lived in a box lined in velvet so he'd open it up and 
Uh, set on the table and open the lid, then completely cover the box and his head and shoulders with a large piece of black velvet as he sat in the chair before the table, peering through the darkness at the crystal. Those, so like The Witch at the Forest Edge and Scrying for Beginners made me feel like, oh, I do need to make a veil for divinatory and maybe like hedge riding, like hedge crossing practices because I have trouble removing my brain from my body sometimes um, or shutting out things that exist in my body. So I've been kind of hunting for the right black silk in the right weight to make like a veil that I can primarily not see out of, but still has some breath and motion to it. Just influenced by those two, like kind of short, very like passive sentences out of two different books, but it brought as like, oh, this is maybe if I don't have like a ritual dress, maybe just this is the thing that I utilize as ritual dress for myself. Yeah, I actually have also been given, funny enough, talking about scrying, so certain uh, Sybil cloaks, very similar to um, La Voisson, and, and being expressly stated, like, how to do a scrying setup with a particular spirit um, that I work with, and placing, you know... Um, a very heavy velvet, very big cloak over me, especially for scrying purposes and some of the scrying that I do. Um, there is, it can be a little feeling like every, like the world is behind you, um, which can be quite intimidating. Um, and I won't lie about that. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not too big and bad of a witch to admit when I'm a little spooked. Um, but it can also be very unnerving for the scrying practices. And I actually have found that like wearing certain, almost like like blankets um, do help kind of fix that feeling, um, something that's weighted. And I've been given also instruction to create a cloak that will wrap around me like a blanket. So it has to be quite large out of a very heavy velvet and embroidering certain things on the back of the cloak that are certain symbols so all of those things are very timely and very um yeah th that works very costly uh like also also honey, that. are you gonna pay for this heavy velvet like, no because that's the thing help they pay for those yeah i'll never forget one time i was i was going to the joanne's fucking fabric store to create this particular spirit house for this one spirit that of course was being very picky <laughs> about what they wanted and i'm sitting there in the middle of joanne's doing divination with a pendulum and asking about this um you know it was between these two brocades and you know me i love a brocade i love a fabric yes um uh i love a loomed thing with metallic fibers in it <laughs> love it and of course i was like okay well is it this one or is it this one and one was cheaper and of course they went with the 30 dollars a yard one and i'm like firstly this is fucking yana han fabric like this does not need to be this expensive secondly this is just a really nice damask calm down and thirdly <laughs> of course you would choose and i'm like do you actually like this one or is it that it's just the most expensive especially for the particular spirit it was i'm like i can't tell if it's because you like this um or if i like this because i also really liked it too but i wouldn't have paid for it yeah um, and i'm like i can't tell if you like this or you just like it because it's expensive 
honey. It's if it was me, I'd like it because I was too expensive. Let's be honest. I see that for you. Uh, that being said, I literally never buy anything expensive for myself. Uh, when I bought the lasts to make my shoes, I was like, <gasps> my yeah. card, my my bank was like, was this you? Did you actually spend this much money? And I was like, oh, that's sad because it's not even that much money. And they're asking me. That just shows how out of character it is. But when the time comes for you to make that robe, obviously, I will help you make that. Because uh, please, because I know that you are not as skilled in the realm of uh, sewing. And that's something I can bring to the table to help you. Um, uh, I did. I owned a sewing machine and I let my designer ex borrow it and then I never saw it again. What am I good for? Absolutely nothing. Literally. So on top of like, you know, like we were talking about veils, cloaks, dresses, things like that. Folklore is one of the things that were kind of like, I'm trying to make a focus of this. And though it might not be considered actual folklore, a piece of, you know, writing, and then that became film that impacted my life like so majorly. And then I pull so much influence from and always will is The Wizard of Oz and how that like, like magic is a certain way for me. And I feel like it is majorly influenced by the Wizard of Oz, no matter how fake it is, no matter how it's like just a story that a man wrote, whatever. And the ruby slippers in the movie, in the book, they were like silver. But the like the idea of them being the ultimate charmed article of clothing or like accessory, whatever you want to call it, I feel like taught me from a young age how magical clothing actually literally is. So, like, for me, that's, like, a major thing of importance. Like, a shoe can be, like, uber magical because I was raised believing this watching The Wizard of Oz. So, like, it's a very funny thing to, like, pull references. Like, that's the that's the thing. But then when I was reading Scrying for Beginners, which I referenced earlier, he had this uh, quote that, like, I had to include in this conversation only because it's so obviously written by someone with like a high heel fetish kink for one <laughs> and like dominance kink and i'm not saying this about donald tyson or whatever but whatever wherever this information that he then put into this book it says that some monarchs of primitive cultures were carried their entire lives never permitted to walk so that the ground could not defile their sacred nature this, by the way, is the magical rationale that lies at the base of the high heel shoe. When a woman's heel is elevated from the surface of the earth, she is symbolically emphasizing that she is a living embodiment of the goddess and thus a suitable object for worship. That's actually really beautifully written. No, I, I agree. Like that, And would you expect anything different from someone obviously... From somebody! <laughs> I'm like... Okay, Sex in the City, man putting on the heels on Charlotte's feet. Um, oh my god, we just watched that episode recently. Very I funny. love that. Um, <laughs> but that's like so true. I love the idea of like a ritual shoe, especially like a high heel being like, oh, this? Because I'm the living embodiment of the goddess. Yeah, well, I... Uh, you I'd know, have there's... to care about the like the goddess being the one but you know right absolutely and of course whatever byproduct of this time is probably 
rife with complexities of misinformation. However, 10 out of 10 agree with you, definitely had a heel kink. But, you know, there's so many cultural religions and taboos about what you should and should not wear, especially, um, you know, certain colors being offensive to the nature of your spirit or even putting you in danger. I went into, uh, you know, some ideas of humoral theory within the the little text Conjuring the Witching Shade. This idea that, and this is coming uh, to from some uh, classes I'm taking with Dr. Alexander as well, like there's also times when they'll express uh, they, who is they, but uh, where people will give prescriptives as like, mm, you're wearing too much black, it's bringing too much melancholy into your life, like... Uh, your black bile's out of balance and therefore there are a lot of other things that are going to go out of balance with you and you need to be wearing more yellow um or more red uh and you know there's other implications of of taboo about what you should wear as well so not only do we have this in like a very practical way about how magic should be or a ritual where should be performed for magic but also just like in a everyday setting of your everyday life of like you shouldn't wear blue it brings you too close to the water and the water might claim you um you know or or you shouldn't uh wear red because you are too hot-headed and um uh, it is easy for you to become mad or red with anger or or in some cases it's like uh, showing um, blood that is on you and therefore um, your blood is more likely to spill out of you um, and hurt you. So, or the other way around, hurting others. There's a lot of uh, things with that, which I know has nothing to do with shoes, but it does remind me of, um, of course, as well, like talismanic shirts. Um, that we can see if, uh, there's a really good exhibit uh, at the Met or an archive that you can like look up uh, that is like talismanic items from the Islamic world. And one of the pieces is this uh, shirt that would have been worn under armor. Um, and it's covered in just all this um, script from the Quran um, and prayers and such. And it's really beautiful and really fascinating. But in terms of shoes, which are just so darling, um, absolutely the idea that the foot is in, in some cultures as well as um, some conceptions of very American magic from several different places and uh, diasporas and backgrounds. The feet are where diseases come through um, and also where diseases leave out of. So this can obviously be worked into the idea of shoe magic or foot track magic where you take the shoe track or the footprint of somebody and lay um, certain works on top of that uh were also by laying poisons powders and also good things too it, it works both ways um to allow the feet to draw these things up um into the body so and shoes also being a way to protect oneself from that and you just had a really good episode with juju who and they specifically go into talking about like that work um i found that episode really really a great one across the board but that in that section i found really interesting especially because i feel like there is for sure that could easily inspire a way to then integrate 
protection magic into shoemaking, which is something that I've already like have set in my mind. Like, how do I integrate sh like magic and specifically like protection or like magic to lead me in the direction of something like treasure to put it vaguely yeah. in a very magical way, you know, cause there's a million like spells, how to enchant X item to bring me to treasure, how to get this, how to conjure the spirit to bring me to treasure, how to integrate that into the process of shoemaking is something that I'm like very excited to explore. And that thought process kind of brought on listening to that episode with Juju talking about like the expectation of like laying a powder for someone to walk through it as like a curse. Like, well, like, how do you combat that? You know? Absolutely. And of course, you know, that's, that's also why you'll see, or maybe you won't see the placing of certain talismans within shoes or protective amulets or things like that. Or even of course, you know, placing um, names or things like that of people you want to step on in very simplistic, uh, I mean simplistic, not in a pejorative way, uh, simple folk magic um, that can be to be worked in a million of ways. But yeah, the idea of, of uh, shoes and also um, uh, clercons, uh, which are a, uh, a fairy or an elf uh, similar to a leprechaun, they're oftentimes conflated with each other, but like a clericon are cobblers. And uh, we, we think that this is the um, origin of the story, the, the cobbler, where the cobbler would leave the shoes overnight and then he would come back and they were fixed the next morning if he did something. I, it's been a really long time since I've heard that story. Um, but yeah, so many, so many ways to work magic into shoes the cunty little accessories that they are and as well as purses and wallets and pockets there's ideas of of uh magic of course about keeping things on the right side or the left side uh, especially if you're trying to implement more benefic or malevolent uh magic into uh your your life i also had a friend one time who um came from the ukraine and would talk about his aunt and how when times were tough, what she would do is she would take this ugly <laughs> fucking Tweety Bird shirt, you know, and I, exactly what you're thinking, the very like 90s Looney Tunes, pink and blue tie-dye, oversized 5XL, Walmart, even though there wasn't Walmart there, but uh, this Tweety Bird shirt, you know, with a sassy little Tweety Bird on it, and they would, um, she would take this um, these coins and she would sew them into the shirt and wear that for a period of time until they would get money um, into their house and uh, for whatever reason you know is it the act of sewing something into and it wouldn't be put on the outside it'd be put on the inside of the shirt um, and multiple of them as it was expressed to me you know it wasn't just like one coin it was like many coins that they would sew into the shirt and like how do you even sew a coin into a shirt um all of these things that i have to ask but yeah that's just that's i want to know i want to know more about this that is the literally one of the most interesting uh the tweety bird shirt is what makes it the <laughs> most I know, right? interesting like why is it the Tweety Bird shirt? Is it is that just like your spirits are looking at you and you're like, oh, honey, the epitome of poor. <laughs> I don't know. 
like no, get you out of so that funny. get out of that shirt put on a button down blouse ma'am like they're like we'll throw <laughs> no, whatever it's... money at you to get you no, out literally. of that shirt that um, i've never thought about it that way because i'm just sitting here like well it's probably just like one of the few fucking shirts that she had you know or or even something that just wasn't used you know she would never wear that shirt out maybe mm -hmm. um who knows but like that's just the way that it was expressed to me was it was just this tweety bird shirt i live for that same and i feel like i we've covered so much ground i originally had like another section for us to like talk about um like makeup and thing like cosmetics uh but i really think that at this point i'm going to have to start cutting a ton of stuff so i think it's maybe this is maybe where we start wrapping things up we um can. only I because can come back exactly i feel like i almost took two broad of strokes with this for you because you have such a vast knowledge. I should have known. I could have put you on like one narrow path of like, let's talk about making veils. And you would have come up with an hour and a half of discussion, no matter what. So initially I was going to have us, yeah, talk about like cosmetics and uh, like perfumes because that is your realm. But I think that we've just got to like kind of have that be a thing at another, like at another time because don't get us started talking about makeup honey oh don't get us started but i i'm so like excited that you were able to like come and do this with me because like i know this podcast is literally this is episode three this is nothing you have like a wonderful established podcast that i really suggest everyone listen to um and if you don't already follow Austin, go to Bane X Bramble on Instagram and follow them right now and make sure to get the Visions of the Witch's Rose collection while it is still available. Is that a limited scent? No, it'll be it'll be a permanent collection like the um planetary series. Okay, wonderful. Um I'm happy I'm not like gonna tell Press people to go time. buy it. And then yeah. like it's gone. Uh, because your things sell out very quickly. You you have uh, so you make really beautiful things, and even though the things that you make aren't particularly fiber art oriented, I still had to really bring you on because of the like deep maker sensibility within you. Um, is there anything that you would like to or need to plug um, before you, we sign off? Oh well, thank you for the opportunity for having me on. Truly, I was so excited when you asked because I adore you, and I'm really excited for this podcast because I think that things like this only need to get more niche and more specific. And fiber arts is something that's so rich with magic, um, and yet not talked about enough. And so I'm really excited that you are able to bring this on. And obviously, like, there's so many different avenues that you can go into, of course, spinning, harvesting plants, dying, uh, looming, um, like, God, the looming episode is just gonna set me on edge. Uh, embroidery, um, etc, etc. And there's so there's so much that you can do here. And I'm, I'm so excited. And I, I do appreciate you having me on. Uh, my name is Austin Fuller. Um, I go by Banex Bramble on Instagram. I have a website called BanexBramble.com where I sell all my womanly wares. 
perfumes, effigies, jewelry, talismans, formulas, oils, incense, etc., etc., etc. And I have a podcast with Marshall the Witch of Southern Light called Southern Bramble. Um, and uh, you can catch me. Um, I have my classes on my website as well, but I'm also doing a lecture um for the salem witchcraft and folklore festival in august that is titled supping hell broth in the devil's garden uh the witch's art of potion craft wow wow what a good title thank you if the title is half as good as the class you don't want to miss it like you know like (laughs) the title is fantastic so it's really i'm very thrilled uh and will not be missing that because it looks i bet that they've got the deck stacked this uh they do it's gonna be so good i don't know if they've like released released like a list of people doing it but i think i've heard like people be like oh i'm doing that oh i'm Mm -hmm. doing that oh i'm doing that and who knows hopefully next year i'll have something together after doing this podcast uh where i can you know pull together a little something or other to submit and try and get get on there I think you will. You can talk about so many spinstresses. Well, I thank you so much for being here to, again. I enjoyed talking with you so much, and I can't wait to have you back. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening today. I'm Severely Mame. Make sure to follow me on Instagram if you haven't already, at Severely Mame. Uh, you can also find me on TikTok at that. Not that I use TikTok because it is a heinous, scary place. Uh, and if you want to delve deeper into what I'm doing uh, and my craft and fiber arts crafts, uh, you can find my Patreon, patreon.com slash severely Thank you all for listening. And uh, I'll talk to you again next episode.